Hey, everybody, you've made it to Thursday. It's Thursday, March 23rd, 2023, 32323, Jill. You're listening to the mm. Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, we're taping this podcast slightly earlier on Wednesday evening, as I am set right now to appear on CNN this evening. They wanted the Mo News perspective on a few stories. So we can recap that on tomorrow's pod, but I'm excited for that tonight. So big time, Mosh. I, of course, will be watching. Jill, as much as you think you can escape traditional media, (laughs) you just can't. (laughs) I was thinking the same, but... um, Didn't we start this? To- <laughs> <laughs> but very cool. Very cool, nonetheless. I, th- I think that it's a validation of what we're doing. Let's see how the appearance goes, but I agree a thousand percent. No pressure, Mosh, but we're all counting on you. <laughs> it's funny, Jill. When I was a producer at Bloomberg Television, Mayor Bloomberg at the time was still mayor. He had left the company, but he would pop in once in a while because he couldn't resist. And I remember seeing him on the street one day and saying, Mayor Bloomberg, I work for your company. And he's like, one piece of advice. My name's on the building. Don't screw it up. (laughs) I've heard that he's actually very funny. He doesn't come off that way. (laughs) No, no. I've heard stories about him. (laughs) When he spent a billion dollars to run for president and lost in 100 days or less with no real votes, you know, that was clear. But he's a very successful entrepreneur and businessman. All right, Moshe, let's get to some headlines here. Trump indictment watch continues. Mo News was live at the scene as Wednesday's grand jury meeting was unexpectedly canceled. TikTok on the clock. Actually, TikTok in the hot seat. The CEO will go before Congress today and it could get tense. Prediction, it will get tense. (laughs) The Fed raises interest rates again, even though two banks recently went under and lots of investors and lawmakers are calling for a pause in rate hikes. Huge news in the fight against cancer. An experimental drug had incredible results for nearly two dozen people with leukemia. Two inmates at a Virginia jail managed to escape using tools made from toothbrushes only to get caught at a nearby IHOP. Most those pancakes will get you every time. As a former Pancake House waiter, Jill, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No laws when you're drinking claws. The billionaire behind White Claw is coming for vodka. And Mosh has on this day in history. Jill, a huge day in history for two iconic 90s songs that you won't be able to get out of your head again. All right, our top story, Trump indictment watch continues. On Wednesday, a grand jury hearing evidence in a case involving alleged hush money payments to adult film actress Stormy Daniels did not meet as was expected. The Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, told the grand jury to be on standby for today, Thursday. The panel's been meeting on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. The reason for yesterday's delay is unclear. Now, if you remember, Trump himself had predicted that he'd be indicted on Tuesday, so obviously that did not happen. The New York Times reports that the grand jury may hear from at least one more witness before being asked to vote. So if you do the math, it's looking like an indictment if there is one may not come until next week. But of course, it's anyone's guess here. Most the Trump team reportedly very frustrated about just this overall lack of information that they're getting. It appears they're in a waiting game just like the rest of us. Yeah, grand juries are secret proceedings. And we should remind folks, and we talked about this a bit on the pod yesterday, that grand juries are not like juries. They're not finding him guilty. They're just finding enough evidence to indict enough evidence that he may have committed a crime. And keep in mind, grand juries themselves also don't have to be unanimous. 
They just have to be a slight elevated majority vote. So there's a lot of reporting going on right now. On Monday, the grand jury heard from a Trump ally. Since Trump refuses to testify here, he doesn't want his testimony to be used in a future trial. So they had an ally testify that uh, the key witness, Michael Cohen, Trump's former attorney, is basically not a legitimate source. And NBC News confirmed that prosecutors were not happy with Cohen's appearance before the grand jury. Keep in mind, Cohen already served a year here in prison for crimes related to this payoff. And so that is why you have the DA and others saying, well, if Cohen served time, why shouldn't we be able to indict Trump? Either way, Cohen does have some questions when it comes to his character here, given that he also is a convicted felon. We had our producer, Emily Gross, outside the courthouse on Wednesday, awaiting the results, which, of course, did not come down. And she says mainly it's a media circus. The most interesting thing, honestly, that was happening, Jill, Law and Order SVU (laughs) with Ice-T was shooting around the corner. So the most legal action available to cameras... (laughs) and that appeared to develop on Wednesday was over at the SVU set. And I saw that she found one protester, one, one person out there with a sign and the rest was just media. It appears the rest of us have better things to do than sit outside the courthouse. That is, of course, except the media, which, of course, is waiting to wait for developments there. But it seems like the rest of the public is just, you know, going about their business, which is to be expected right now. Jill, one other legal case we're tracking on the Trump front, actually, we're tracking multiple legal cases, but one that did see developments in the past 24 hours is the one related to the several hundred classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago. A federal appeals court yesterday ruled that the lawyer representing Trump must now testify. This is particularly controversial because typically, as you know, there's attorney-client privilege. But in this case, they believe they have found evidence that Trump lied to his attorney, which then led the attorney to lie to the government. So this is what is allowing them to effectively force the attorney to testify here. This is the independent special counsel who's doing the investigation here. This is being adjudicated through the federal courts. The U.S. appeals court, the second highest court in the land, has now ruled that the lawyer has to testify, which means the Trump folks may now take this case to the Supreme Court to try to prevent his attorney, Evan Corcoran is his name, from testifying. But experts watching this think it's unlikely the Supreme Court will overrule this, which means you will have an awkward situation here where you'll have potentially two Trump attorneys in the classified records case being forced to testify against Trump. I feel like the thing you always hear is attorney-client privilege. You could tell your lawyer anything, just like you could tell your doctor anything, and they're not going to share it with anybody. Jill, apparently they're working with a special provision in the law here known as the crime fraud exception. This exception allows prosecutors to work around attorney-client privilege when they have reason to believe that the legal advice may have been used in furthering a crime. So I guess there are exceptions to that rule in this case, and it's going to go up to the highest court in the land. Meanwhile, today is the big day for TikTok. The company's CEO will be testifying in front of Congress. Lawmakers have tons of questions about national security issues, and they're looking to learn more about how TikTok is keeping U.S. data secure. Although we have come to expect more shouting than learning at these hearings in recent years, TikTok CEO Shozi Chu has launched a less than successful charm offensive in recent months. His goal is to convince lawmakers that the video sharing platform is a, quote, sunny corner of the Internet. He'll be testifying before the House Energy and Commerce Committee starting this morning. His aim is to persuade lawmakers that the app, which has about 150 million users in the U.S., nearly half of all Americans, 
does not pose a risk to Americans or share data with the Chinese government. With this testimony in particular, it's clear that he faces a nearly impossible task. Key lawmakers on the committee have already made up their minds. That includes committee chair Kathy McMorris-Rogers, a Republican from Washington state. She already has been calling for a nationwide ban of TikTok. When asked if Chu could do anything to persuade the committee that TikTok, owned by the Chinese company ByteDance, can protect Americans' data from the Chinese Communist Party, that is, besides being forced to sell to a non-Chinese owner, an aide to the committee was blunt, saying the answer is no. So basically, it's looking like ByteDance is going to have to divest itself entirely, or TikTok will be banned. So it's going to be a, a tough day for Chu. By the way, that divestment selling uh, TikTok, you know who that has to run through, Jill? The Chinese government. And you can imagine, given how things are between the U.S. and China, how they may approach that question. Jill, we noted on yesterday's podcast the message that the TikTok CEO, Sho Chu, put out. He's been spending a lot of time on Capitol Hill. It appears he has made some limited progress, but the wagons have been circling for a while now. And keep in mind, you can't look at the TikTok story without looking at the larger geopolitical context, right? There's the spy balloons. There's the Chinese move towards Russia. There's a Chinese military aggression towards Taiwan. So the more contentious the U.S.-China relationship gets, the stormier the seas get, so to speak, and the little boat that is TikTok is trying to float in those very stormy seas. And it's not just the Republican-controlled House side. The Democratic-controlled Senate side on Capitol Hill is no friend of TikTok right now. Democratic Senator Mark Warner, he's the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, introduced the Bipartisan Act, which would give the federal government the power to restrict and potentially ban the app. This is actually the issue Trump faced a couple of years ago while he was president. He looked to ban it, it ran through the court system. Judges ruled that the government didn't have that authority under the law. So they're looking to correct that and now give the U.S. government that authority. But let's get back here to the larger issue. What is the concern here when it comes to TikTok, which many people just use for book talk or cooking talk or all the various fun videos that are out there? By the way, I'm not on TikTok, but I did learn what book talk is because it's part of Chu's testimony. I read the 10 pages that he submitted and he talks a lot about book talk. I think he's trying to say, look, we're getting people to read. <laughs> The, the argument that he makes is that millions of Americans literally market their businesses, have businesses. I mean, in the same way that Mo News started as a business on Instagram, many people have started their businesses on TikTok, and there's many people using it in a very productive way. But these are where the issues lie, at least when it comes to the U.S. government. First of all, where TikTok stores the data of U.S. users. Until recently, much of it was on ByteDance servers, some of it abroad, and many feared that that would allow China to require TikTok turn over U.S. user data to the Chinese Communist Party. This year, TikTok tried to solve that first argument by deleting the data of American users from the ByteDance servers and moving them to servers run by Oracle, an American cloud computing company, in a project they call Project Texas. So moving all U.S. user data to the U.S. They thought they had that one solved. But here is the next issue. The algorithm. Who writes the algorithm? The parent company of TikTok, which is ByteDance, Chinese, Essentially, the fear is that TikTok could unilaterally decide to prioritize content that would threaten to destabilize the U.S. You know, the fear here is that China would effectively use the TikTok algorithm towards 150 million Americans and divide us and put some really subversive content out there. 
and uh, it hasn't happened yet. We think it hasn't happened yet. We, we really don't know how their algorithm works. You don't know the content that you're not seeing, right? You just know the content that you're seeing. You make a good point there. We don't have like very clear, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt evidence. But of course, that doesn't mean the lack of evidence doesn't mean it hasn't happened at all. So again, there's control of the algorithm. So where the US user data is, that's one issue. Who controls the algorithm? That's issue two. Then the third issue, Jill, is the algorithm itself and whether it will allow China to hack user phones. Again, a theoretical concept here that we haven't seen evidence of. But again, the larger fear is TikTok being on your phone, does it then basically open up a gateway for the Chinese government to collect everything else from you? And that's one of the reasons we've seen nearly 30 states and the federal government go to a TikTok ban on government phones. When I was reading through his testimony, he said all of the right things. But what he's not addressing is the relationship that the Communist Party, that the Chinese government has with businesses. And it's very different than the relationship that any other country, especially the United States, has with private businesses in the United States, right? And I think it's evidenced by the fact that if ByteDance wanted to sell off TikTok, it would have to be approved by the Chinese government. Yeah, they have an authoritarian model there, which is, you know, a third of the world these days where the government basically controls, you know, all the major private companies or has some semblance of control here in the U.S., you know, the government has to take companies to court and judges rule oftentimes against the government when it comes to things they want from companies. Jill, one of the interesting things here that, again, puts Chu in an awkward situation is that despite being CEO of TikTok, he still reports to the authorities in Beijing. So his best move, some say, is to just hammer home how popular this app is with half of the U.S. population, especially young people. If a ban on TikTok went through, the uh, current Commerce Secretary, the Biden Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, actually had an interesting thing to say to Bloomberg. She said, quote, the politician in me thinks you're going to literally lose every vote under 35 forever. So clearly there are political ramifications here. So some think here that you could play to the politics of a ban as his best step today. Funny you say that a Washington Post poll found that 41% of Americans support a federal ban of TikTok, 25% say that they oppose it. <laughs> and the biggest factor to determine whether or not somebody opposed or was for it is if they used the app. So if they use the app, they did not want it banned. People love it. They really, really love it, Jill. Um, a bit of background about the CEO, since it's the first time that many of us are going to be seeing him. He's 40 years old. He was born in Singapore. He went to college in London and then moved to the U.S. to get his master's degree at Harvard Business School. He met his wife in California during a summer internship while they were both working at startups. Uh, the startup, by the way, that he interned at in 2009, Facebook. Chu then worked as an investment analyst at Goldman Sachs before joining another firm that made one of the earliest investments in ByteDance in 2013. He was hired as CFO of TikTok in 2021. And then two months later, CEO. So it's just been about 18 months that he's been on the job. A pretty tough 18 months uh, for Chu there. We will see how things go down. One thing to keep in mind, Jill, is this may not stop at TikTok. Of the Apple's App Store, 10 most downloaded free apps right now in the US, four are owned by Chinese companies, three of which right now rank above TikTok. There's the shopping app Timu, T-E-M-U, the fast fashion titan Shine, S-H-E-I-N, and then another ByteDance app that I've actually used a couple times for video editing called CapCut, which has 200 million users worldwide. 
As part of the testimony, he also talks about what the app is doing in terms of teens and protecting teens' privacy and also limiting the amount of time that they're actually spending on the app. I just want to take a minute to again mention the interview I did with Nero Feliciano, which where we talked about social media and why in general it is so harmful for teens. I did ask her of all of the apps, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, et cetera, which is the worst? And Mosh, in my deep tease, I'll tell you, you've got to listen to find out what she says. But again, she just offers some really good insight about what these apps are doing to all of our brains and just great advice on how to scale it back. Yes, if you can't get to it during the week, make sure to download it and take a listen to it this weekend. All right, we have a lot more coming up in the podcast, but let's get to a couple of our sponsors this week. I want to start with Bull and Branch Sheets. We talk a lot on this podcast about sleep studies, the importance of getting your eight hours every night. And with that in mind, we're so happy to be partnering with a brand that helps you do that, Bull and Branch Sheets. That is B-O-L-L and Branch. We got their sheets in the fall, and I can assure you, you will wake up feeling rested and refreshed with their very soft sheets. They're made with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash. Already millions of Americans have bought Bull & Branch sheets. Best of all, right now, Bull & Branch is offering a special deal to the MoNews community. You can get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code MoNews at bullandbranch.com. Best of all, right now, Bull & Branch is giving you a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. Again, the deal is 15% off your first order over at Bull & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code MONEWS. Natto Athletic Greens. I've been taking their AG1 supplement in the mornings. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Easy, quick, and lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. All right, time now for the speed read. Let's start with the economy. From NPR, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates for the ninth time in a row on Wednesday, opting to continue its fight against high inflation despite the collapse of two regional banks, highlighting the stress in the banking industry. So this brings the benchmark interest rate to just under 5%, making it more expensive for people who are taking out car loans or carrying a balance on their credit cards. The Fed chair says more rate hikes may be necessary to restore price stability. Inflation's about 6% right now. That's better than the 9.1% that we saw over the summer, but the goal is to bring it down to 2%. So we've got a long way to go. The central bank is particularly concerned about the rising costs of services, things like airline tickets and streaming TV subscriptions. Yeah, this was pretty controversial. The Fed found itself between a rock and a hard place here. Some observers including investors, by the way, Wall Street didn't like uh, what they heard. The uh, market went down on Wednesday afternoon. They had hoped the central bank was going to pause rate hikes here, especially given the fallout of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and the continued woes in the banking industry. But Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said Tuesday that large withdrawals from regional banks have stabilized, and the Fed believed that they had to address the larger issue of inflation here. 
One chief investment officer from a wealth manager told the New York Times that I think the Fed is slow to react to significant stress in the banking system. Essentially, the argument here is the Fed is always slow. They were slow on inflation, and now they're slow on the banking system. And it comes as the Fed is facing scrutiny for its oversight over those two failed banks. Because, of course, one of the Fed's other responsibilities is to oversee these banks. Incidentally, the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank sat on one of the Fed's boards in San Francisco, Jerome Powell, saying Wednesday that he's open to scrutiny, that they are investigating it, and they don't want this sort of thing to happen in the future, and they will figure out what went wrong. Some exciting news in the fight against cancer. From Semaphore, an experimental drug called Revumineb achieved complete cancer remission in 18 people with leukemia. A third of patients with untreatable leukemia saw their cancer vanish with this new treatment. More than half responded, and 18 of 60, again, saw total remission. In acute myeloid leukemia, mutated bone marrow cells create cancerous white blood cells. Just 25% of patients survived three years from the time of diagnosis. This new drug is really exciting news, Jill. I got a few messages from people on Instagram who either have family suffering from this, who have lost family members to this, who are very excited to hear this news of Revumanib. The new drug targets the most common mutation behind leukemia and reprograms the bone marrow cells to behave normally. Now, not all leukemia patients have this mutation, hence the imperfect response rate. But the trial, while small, still produced pretty extraordinary results. Again, I think you mentioned 18 people in total remission. One patient was quoted as saying, I felt like death was imminent. I was just 21 years old. This person, Jill, has now made a full recovery. So this is very exciting news if these results pan out. A follow-up to a story that we mentioned a few days ago from People Magazine. Nearly eight years after he was found near Alec Murdoch's home, Stephen Smith's death has been ruled a homicide. Back in 2015, his body was found on a road a short distance from the Murdoch estate. Police in South Carolina initially said that Smith had died of a hit and run. Authorities in the state have now determined that Smith died of a homicide. Lawyers representing Smith's mother said, quote, we have a chance to right eight years of wrongs and we intend to do just that. So what is the connection to the Murdoch family? That is the big question. Alec Murdoch, of course, convicted of killing his wife and son earlier this month. While investigating their murders, authorities found new evidence connected to Smith's death and reopened his case in June of 2021. Oh, the weave of the Murdochs. The law is finally catching up to them. Of course, Alec has gone to jail for the rest of time for uh, killing his wife and son. A lot of speculation here, Jill, is in regards to the surviving son, Buster, who's now 26. A Netflix documentary details speculation about a potential secret romance that he and Stephen may have had despite a very homophobic Murdoch family. On Monday, as we've noted on this podcast, Buster Murdoch vehemently denied he had anything to do with this mysterious death, Smith's case was originally investigated by the South Carolina Highway Patrol. It went cold seven years ago. In that investigation, the Murdoch family name, obviously, they were a powerful local family here. They had a long-standing law firm, a lot of ties. The Murdochs were mentioned a dozens of times as being connected to the case, but no member of the family was ever questioned in his death. No charges ever filed. Finally, in June of 2021, almost two years ago, nearly six years after his death, the top law enforcement agency in South Carolina announced they were opening an investigation here. Now, of course, Jill, as you mentioned, it is being ruled a homicide and investigated as such. So we'll see what they've come up with. So far, we don't know exactly. They haven't revealed the details that led them 
to make this change. Look, whether or not Buster Murdoch is connected in any way to the killing of Stephen Smith, when you think about the fact that the Murdoch name had been mentioned, as you said, dozens of times during the police investigation, and yet they didn't interview anyone from the Murdoch family, I mean, it's really, really wild. It shows you what connections to law enforcement can get you, potentially. All right, it's not exactly Shawshank redemption, but we did want to mention this story from USA Today. Authorities in Virginia say that two inmates were found at an IHOP after escaping jail by digging a hole with tools made from a toothbrush and a metal object. According to a news release from the Newport News Sheriff's Office, the city's jail discovered that the inmates were missing during a routine headcount at around 7 p.m. on Monday. The two had dug a hole through one of the jail walls using, quote, primitive made tools. Those tools helped them access untied rebars in the wall, which they then used for the rest of their escape. So after getting out, after getting out of jail, and by the way, I posted a photo on Instagram jail. It's an impressive hole they dug out to get out of prison. They scaled a wall, left the area. They were then found Tuesday morning at an IHOP eight miles away. Officials took them into custody there. They're appraising uh, locals who followed the see something, say something to law enforcement. Patrons there noticed them and said, those may be the prisoners who just escaped a local jail. Jill, I would love to hear what led them to just, you know, give up after eight miles and go to the IHOP and feel like they could get away with that. But they have been taken back into authority. By the way, one of the inmates is there for contempt of court, probation violations. The other is there for credit card fraud forgery, and some other crimes. Mosh, those flapjacks get you every time. You would think, though, after escaping, they would go, they would they would just get as far as they possibly could, uh, never to be seen again. Shave your head, buy a fake mustache, dye your eyebrows, uh, get some new clothing, find a vehicle, and get out of Dodge. But they're just like, I need some flapjacks. I'm really hungry. Uh, though they could have gone for the chicken and waffles. Jill, I haven't been to an IHOP in a very long time. We used to go in high school. Though I should say I worked for a competitor to IHOP. A slightly more upscale pancake place that some in the Chicago suburbs would know is Walker Brothers. There's a few locations around where I was a waiter. But never would I have imagined that as a waiter at a pancake house that I might be serving two prison escapees. (laughs) So I'm glad 17-year-old Moshe didn't have to deal with that back in the day. I'd love to see if there's surveillance video from, from the pancake house. Right. Like, how lackadaisical were they? I mean, this is the thing. These guys are not murderers here, right? Like, one is there for contempt of court, the other one for credit card fraud. But at the same time, dudes just made their life difficult by escaping jail. So they've already increased their prison time. So if they're going to escape, you know, make an escape. Show some energy. (laughs) Eight miles. And they're obviously resourceful, right? They used a toothbrush to get out. From the Wall Street Journal, White Claw upended the beer business And now it is coming for vodka. The billionaire behind the brand is releasing a line of vodka sold under his popular brand. Straight and flavored versions of White Claw premium vodka will be sold in bottles. Vodka and soda cocktails will be available in 12-ounce cans. White Claw premium vodka is entering a U.S. market led by Tito's Handmade Vodka. The White Claw vodka will be priced similarly as Tito's. White Claw became a cultural phenomenon. It sparked a tidal wave of new hard seller brands. The explosive growth of hard seltzer from 2016 to 2020 was a boon for the flagging U.S. beer industry. But sales have been declining recently, hence White Claw looking to disrupt a different category. Yeah, Julia, you're apparently going to have four options, unflavored, pineapple, mango, and black cherry. 
What White Claw is saying that their category, their initial category here, has become too cluttered and confusing for shoppers, while White Claw's U.S. sales and market share continue to grow, they say a shakeout is going to be underway in the hard seltzer category. Industry experts who watch American tastes here say that tastes are shifting away from the hard seltzers into more of the malt-based beverages and the canned cocktails made with spirits. I guess they draw some distinctions here to my eye, Jill, when I look at that aisle, whether it's malt-based beverages, the canned cocktails, the hard seltzers, they all look like one to me, but that category has really exploded off the success here. So now they're getting into the vodka world, right, where vodka sales are about a $7 billion market in the U.S. Tito's, by the way, represents 25% of all vodka sales. One out of four vodka bottles effectively in the U.S. that is sold is a bottle of Tito's, which is pretty remarkable. So Tito's is Texas. White Claw Premium Vodka will be distilled in Illinois and then bottled in Kentucky. And I thought this piece of history was pretty interesting from the CEO's interview in the Wall Street Journal. He said that their research about a decade ago showed that for younger men, beer used to be the only de facto drink they were permitted to drink at social occasions. But the research showed that about 25% of beer drinkers, mainly men, didn't actually like the taste of beer that much. And so that's what led them to the initial White Claws that have taken over the market. And now they appear to be taken on the straight vodka market. And there have been a couple of attempts in recent years to try to cut into Tito's market share. And so far, to no success. I'm really curious to see how it tastes, Mosh, because the CEO, who's this billionaire who never does interviews, he did an interview with the release of this vodka. And he said his biggest issue if he ordered a vodka and soda is that it would taste rough that it just didn't taste right. And he'd always have to order cranberry juice or something else to just help it taste a little bit better. So that is the problem that he is looking to solve. So again, I'm very interested in tasting this. I've moved to tequila in recent years, (laughs) but I'm willing to try vodka again. All right, that brings us to On This Day in History on 323-23. We're going to start back in 1806, Jill, as we sometimes do. Explorers Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, known as Lewis and Clark, who had just made a more than one-year expedition from St. Louis to the Pacific coast of Oregon by foot, uh, began their return trip on this day in history. The full 8,000-mile journey would take over two years back and forth. They apparently got a $2,500 allotment from Thomas Jefferson for the trip. Jill, all I can think about when I read any Lewis and Clark story or history is Oregon Trail, (laughs) my favorite game back in the day. (laughs) I'm picturing a nine-year-old Jill Wagner in computer class where we used to just have those big computers next to each other just playing Oregon Trail. Yeah, the Apple IIEs. You had a choice between number munchers and uh, Oregon Trail, and then Mary would get typhoid. Uh, Yes, I was going to say, somebody would get typhoid, and then you'd lose two weeks. Something only the generation that remembers the (laughs) floppy disk would understand. Jill, let's fast forward to 1994. That is when Howard Stern, some people might not remember this, announced his run for governor of New York. Stern ran as a libertarian, and this was his platform, Jill. Reinstate the death penalty, let road crews work only at night, and stagger highway tolls to prevent traffic jams. He said he would resign if he got those three things done. Unfortunately for him, though, there were certain rules and regulations for running for office. So despite winning the Libertarian Party nomination for the state of New York, he refused to file financial disclosure forms with the state. So he would eventually drop out. It's okay though, because he's gone on to incredible success. Jill, he's still making about $100 million a year as a uh, radio host. I love that that was his platform. I have long said, and you could quote me on this, that I do not think that construction should be done kind of piecemeal. I think crews should just entirely shut a road 
work on it for whatever it takes, a week, two weeks, finish the job, and then open it again. Because in New York, anyway, you've got projects that have been going on for literally years. So you're just inconvenienced every single day. Jill, listen, we have a governor's race coming up in about three years. (laughs) If you agree to file the financial disclosure forms, the Libertarian Party may have you because it appears this still hasn't been solved. And maybe Howard would endorse you. So you know what I should talk? Um, I should talk to George Santos. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody. (laughs) That might be his path to reelection in your congressional district, Jill. All right. Finally, on this day in 2021, not so long ago, two years ago, but this was sort of an iconic thing. The Suez Canal one of the world's most heavily used shipping lanes was blocked by that mega freighter, the Ever Given, when that freighter ran aground. And it was a very long six days as the Suez Canal was blocked. But even better, Jill, so many great memes came out of that incident in March of 2021. All right, a bit of pop culture history, Jill, a big day in 90s pop culture today. We'll start in 1990. On this day, 33 years ago, Pretty Woman, starring Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, premiered in theaters. Jill, I feel like that's a movie that now that we're remaking all movies and doing sequels a la Top Gun, that there should be some sort of Pretty Woman remake that they should bring back, don't you think? I do, but I wonder if it's a movie that would be able to get made now. Hmm. I don't I don't know if it would play. They would definitely have to make some changes to the storyline, the language, uh, etc. But perhaps you're right. Maybe we just let Pretty Woman stand there in 1990. All right, as I mentioned at the top, a couple songs that you couldn't get out of your head in the 1990s. On this day, 31 years ago, Billy Ray Cyrus, father of Miley Cyrus to the next gen, released his famous song, Achy Breaky Heart, on this day in 1992. And yet another song that you can get out of your head also released on this day in history. In 1999, Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin came out. Mosh, I was just Googling him because I haven't heard his name in a long time. And it looks like he's in a bit of legal trouble. Yeah, there's some ugly accusations going back and forth between him and a nephew and some other allegations. But let me just remember 90s Ricky Martin, Jill. Totally. So let's leave it there. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Emo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And don't forget to follow us over on the gram at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H for the latest and greatest as we continue Trump indictment watch. And of course, we'll give you coverage all day long of the TikTok hearings on Capitol Hill. And of course, ideally, some fun memes that come out of it. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast.